Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And my name is Rebecca Johnson. I am one of the co-hosts of Supergirl Radio, a podcast about the CW Supergirl TV series and all things Karazor-El. So you can find us on all the social media platforms at Supergirl Radio. All things Karazor-El. That is... All the, all the things. That's a fun saying. That's a fun thing to say. <laughs> um, I can see the appeal in that. Um, you know, Rebecca, you I would have loved to have introduced you to... Um, Someone who I knew, he was the uh, the owner of the comic book store that I worked out. Um, unfortunately, he passed away. Rest mm. in peace. But um, the the absolute biggest Supergirl fan um, that I have ever met, uh, and I I think you guys would have had an amazing. <laughs> A man of high like, quality taste. Uh, uh, like. I, I honestly think the conversation would have, because I would listen to him talk about like Supergirl and, and just like at the store and it's like, oh, wow. Like just on another level of understanding that character, especially coming from like a natural and organic um, love uh, from just this new super person where it's like, oh, that's really cool. You know, I never really got that because Superman, you know, like always existed. Supergirl always existed to me. But then for him, his name was David. Supergirl was like this just beacon of light that was like, that makes sense to me. That's how you write a character. This is how this, I love it. Um, I I don't have many people to talk about the Peter David run of Supergirl with. So I probably would start there because that is probably the wildest uh, run on Supergirl, but it's so good. Everybody should read it. Um, So yeah, uh, I I would love uh, to... (laughs) To talk with anybody who uh, likes the character of Supergirl. Uh, so you, no, oh, I was gonna say I'm curious now, Nathan. Like, what what the conversations were like between him and and George Perez? I oh, mean, that probably was. I don't think I ever. They talked. Um, they didn't. They talked between the two of them privately uh, when they would have conversations in like a group where there was people it wasn't really like a, you wouldn't tell that they were friends like you could tell that like oh yeah they like know each other obviously he's the owner of the comic book store and it's George Perez like of course they kind of know each other but like it wasn't until like I went to dinner with them that I saw the two of them just um, acting so just naturally <laughs> much much like how you and I just act normally in public, Mark, honestly, oh, where it was yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's like a level of comfortability. And I'm sitting across from an, an icon. You know, I'm fangirl and like crazy. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't finish my bottomless fries at Red Robin because George Perez is here. Like, I'm doing that the whole time. And meanwhile, these two, uh, you know, David and, and George are just like having dinner. Like, it was the most normal thing and no conversations about characters or or work or anything like that it was like just life and how things were going and what you know people were doing and he loved it and i love that he was there you know great (laughs) so so david is a character in a comic book now right yes you show me he's like a commission commissioner yes uh... he's the police commissioner for metropolis uh in the new 52 run of superman um george wrote him in as commissioner david corporon in that's yeah. amazing. Like volume, I think it's volume one of Superman, the new 52. That's yeah. It comes out in a big, big trench coat, uh, gray and white beard. That's that's David. That's my owner. Like he's great so guy. He's, he would be like the Metropolis of, of Commissioner he, Gordon. Yes, he was the Commissioner Gordon of Metropolis, essentially. David was like Commissioner David Corporon. Commissioner Corporon was his name. I mean, people would come into the store. People... I would meet people that haven't seen him for years and they'd be coming into the store and just be like, hey, is Commissioner here? Be like, ah, yeah. Yeah, I guess he's in the back. Like, I don't, you use that name. You you have free roam. Like, you can just walk back there. You can obviously. just go back. Yeah, like, <laughs> you, you obviously know him, so go right on ahead. Like, it was it was really cool. Great, great time, great experience. Um, anyway. Anyway, we're here today. Thank you again for Supergirl joining us. Awesome. Yes, yeah, Supergirl is, is amazing. Thank you, it, Rebecca, for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me uh, back to talk about uh, some really cool minutes. Yeah. Um, this minute, we are talking about minute number 132, 
today. And this minute's going to start out with Steppenwolf asking if Darkseid is, is coming to Earth. You coming here? You, you want me, you, you, me, me, you, you, yeah. you me. Um, the manager's coming here? Hold yeah. on. And then um, but pretend like you're doing something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like really, really the parademons like like actually pretend like you're doing something because I don't really think yeah. much is going on here. I did the I built the place. What are you guys doing? Just hanging out on the walls. Anyway, the minute's going to end with uh, Aquaman giving Cyborg a weird look before moseying on away. Um, we're changing scenes a little bit here. We're back to the uh, at the end of the minute. We go back to yeah. the Justice League. Do you all think that Steppenwolf, I know we kind of joked about it, but do you think he's excited or scared that Darkseid is coming? Terrified. Yeah. Terrified. <laughs> Terrified. Terrified. Because um, like you said yesterday, we don't know how long it's been since he's seen him, just like visually seen him. He's always, Desaad is always the middle man. He's always speaking for Darkseid and, and vice versa, speaking for Steppenwolf to Darkseid. So Desaad has had a lot of input and been his only real contact. But now we're talking about Darkseid physically appearing on Earth. That's terrifying. Because I'm, I'm sure the last time he's seen him physically is when he got exiled. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's got to be fear. It's got, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's got to be fear. And, 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 to, and, and to come and to collect the anti-life equation, I mean, it's just like, I hope you spare me. <laughs> yeah, that's you, that's yeah. the thing. Like, I'm led to believe that the last time Steppenwolf and Darkseid had a conversation, I think Steppenwolf was uh, lucky to leave with his life. I'm assuming, and that really cool armor. <sighs> count yourself. Count your stars, dude. Yeah, you got <laughs> you, you got fifty thousand of them down. So keep on counting. I'm um, wondering if like if that is that armor is that just him who has the armor or is he like Or do uh, all apocalypse knights get that? I like to believe that it's only his. Um, it's, it's only him. I yeah. think yeah, I think Steppenwolf is um different. I think he's, you know, like maybe he found it. He's like conquering 50,000 worlds. He, he he found it, you know, it belonged to some other uh alien species. It'd be so cool. Honestly, just thinking about it like <laughs> is like the space travel between and the time, oh man, it's just so it fills my head with like just awesome thoughts to just be like, oh, what do you, what would you do? Why would you do that? Do you even need to tell that story? No, but like it's fun to think about. Like he is a space knight. That's another thing. Space knights, <laughs> space knights. I will say it one more time. Space knights, and we're not talking rom, baby. We're talking alien. Space Knights, Arthurian legend stories. It's it writes itself. It's golden. You got your setting. You got your characters. Bing bang boom. Let's go. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna hang up and start writing the Space Knight. Uh, anyway, I think that's a I think it's a great genre. I yeah. think we should write more stories <laughs> in this wheelhouse. Um, yeah. So I think it's uh so the the time between worlds. I think is uh, really fun to think about. Um, and what is your question? He was terrified. Yeah, I think he's shaking in his boots um so one you gotta like think dark side doesn't leave apocalypse uh, you know he was leaving apocalypse because he was conquering the freaking universe you know and then it was like dang got beat sent back home and doesn't leave so for him to just get up for him to pick up the phone is a big <laughs> deal uh so yeah i think it is is fear um 100 uh I mean, I don't even know what Darkseid would do when he got to Earth. Yeah, obviously, I know what he does. I read the book, but... <laughs> well, Rebecca, do you, do you think it's fear? Or do you think he... I, I do think it's fear. I think there's some intimidation there. And I, I always thought that what's so great about this version of Steppenwolf versus the 2017 version is that this one has not humanity but there's a there's a there's a soul underneath him that has feelings and uh <laughs> it sort of endears me to him in a weird way but uh but i think there's this relationship that he has with dark side that he feels so I, I i get this impression that he feels really beat down about things because there's a really interesting moment in this minute where steppenwolf takes a, a beat he he kind of stops before he says the line it shall be so my master and i wonder why did he take that beat 
was he was he almost like wanting to rebel against him in some way was he wanting to say something uh was he wanting to speak up about something and he decided not to and then he just said okay whatever whatever you want to do I'll do it and I I just wonder why he takes that beat because there's also like the visual effects this may be me reading into it because I love Steppenwolf so much but there's a there his eyes look really glassy and I'm like is he crying is he crying (laughs) while he's saying this and I just think there's this it's 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 fear definitely but I think there's also this like intimidation that dark side is just like pounding him with in some way maybe it's from his past he's had a lot of time to think about his his banishment and the way he wronged dark side and how he messed up so he's had a lot of time to think about this and i just i just wonder if he just if there's something in him that wants to fight dark side in a way still maybe there's something in him that wants to rise up about it but he just suppresses it so I'm reading a lot into Steppenwolf's motivations here but I just I think that beat that he takes and the fact that his eyes look a little glassy to me I I I think that's such an interesting touch I kind of if if I'm I'm taking what you just said there and I'm applying it and I get more of a a gratitude thing so tearing up more as if like this is Steppenwolf. This is a proud moment for Steppenwolf. Um, oh. He actually did right, and that there is a chance at redemption. He, you know, can, can accomplish the unity, and that is what Darkseid, his master, his lord, is asking of him. So I think it's really just like, oh my god, I got the job. Like, this is great. Yeah. You know? Because, like, what is it that Steppenwolf wants, right? He wants to come home. Like, isn't that what he says? Like, so that I may come home. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then it's like, oh, so, wait, I don't have to conquer 50,000 m- more. I now just have to conquer one planet, this one, and then so Dark it, it's, it's more of a relief than a than a like a, a weight on his shoulders. It's like maybe he's scared he, at first, right? He's like, "You're yeah. gonna come to Earth," and then and he's you're like, "Actually, coming here?" Oh, and he's like, "Wait, me? You did I can if I do this. You made me a sandwich. I can come home." <laughs> <laughs> that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. Um, Which again, like like you said, Rebecca, that's what makes the Seven Wolf so great is that he's not one note you know like in, in this one minute in between two lines his his emotions have changed maybe you know he's that dynamic of a character where he's like i'm really scared but there's a chance that i can have my redemption immediately i just have to conquer this one world i have two mother boxes i just need one more i, I you know i have a feeling i know where it is i just need that third one unity boom tube dark side i win like I'm, I'm almost there. So it's like, it's yeah, it's the 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 range of emotion that that Steppenwolf has um, is 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 absolutely amazing for a villain, especially for a villain for a Justice League movie, like such a big movie, like uh, to, to get here cinematically. Um, you know, it it works out great for for a villain uh, an antagonist, and I absolutely love the way. Seven Wolf looks in this minute. I, of course, we we say it all the time. Almost every minute we see him, we say how much we love the way he looks. Um, but I I remember seeing this movie for the first time um, in, in that weekend, or maybe uh, just watching it over and over the the weekend that it released. And Seven Wolf, I love how he doesn't look like an alien, traditional alien skin texture. He just looks like a devil, like a demon, like something that crawled out of hell. And I love that the depiction of apocalyptic um, uh, phenotypes is that Steppenwolf looks like a demon that has crawled out of hell. I, I really love that that imagery. I love the skin textures, the bones, the scarring, um, a lot of the kind of hard skin uh I don't know what you would call it, but it's almost like there's shades of bone yeah. in his in his crown. What, uh, um, what would you what would you describe? He looks he looks like Oryx, Oryx. Yeah, he, I mean, he looks like uh, he looks like yeah he looks like a like a a, a demon creature from yeah. uh, from another franchise that Nate and I love to talk about. Um, but his yeah. shoulder blades, uh, I think it, it was more uh, present in yesterday's minute. But his shoulder blades, you mentioned demon. 
they are very reminiscent of um they look visually much like um removed wings uh constantine the keanu reeves one um oh gosh michael i think was the angel at the end of that movie that uh lost the angelness right got the wings ripped out became human or something like became mortal um i think something like that but here maybe if i show it to you guys visually you might Sorry, this is very bad. Oh, talking. so you're um, talking about his um okay, his, sho- so his shoulder his, blades his delta, look delta. yeah um look very much like uh his deltoids look like yeah he, uh, he had wings there but they yes been so when you were saying like yeah. demon especially now like uh and then he bows his head and like it does look like I mean those are just massive <laughs> muscles yeah he's just got incredible. <laughs> He's got a great, great back. <laughs> He's <laughs> yeah. been working on his fitness, yeah. Um, but Demon definitely, uh, Hell Creature is like very here with the horns and everything. The the color, the even the chin horns. Um, yeah, very much. So. Almost like a like a demon meets a minotaur type of thing. Like, yeah. And of course, like we we've all known Steppenwolf to kind of have like this shape to him. But seeing it in this way, especially with the armor rem- removed, you get a real sense of like, oh, you look like. What Lex Luthor was talking about, like these demons that would come from the sky above, mm-hmm. and 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 that imagery alone uh, of Steppenwolf is just like wow. You like, I'm so glad you don't look like an alien so much that you look like an actual uh, a devil. So it just, I think it's just really good design and, and really good skin quality. <laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting thought about like his uh, possible wings being removed because it reminds me of you know. Uh, you know, Lucifer falling yes. from heaven and being, you know, uh, being outcast, uh, like the, an angel, yeah. an angel who fell from heaven, mm-hmm. and um, and and tying that to his uh, need for redemption is kind of an interesting uh, thread to pull on there. And and I would ag- agree with you. I think I think it was Mark that said that uh, that his weathered look on his skin. Um, it I've I've been for the last couple of years I've been working with paleontologists so I, I work for museums in my day day job and so I look at a lot of fossils and uh, talk to a lot of people who dig in the dirt and so he, when I see his skin now it sort of reminds me of fossils and and old old things that have been uh, you know buried for a while and have been dug up and so I I think I, I wonder sometimes if you know, is this Steppenwolf in his old age? You know, did he look different, uh, differently when he was a, a younger Steppenwolf? What did, what did teenage Steppenwolf look like? Is this just a, a sign of his um, progression into his old age, or has he always been like this? So I, I think it, just overall the the look of him, uh, especially in this vulnerable moment where his armor goes down because he's paying reverence to Darkseid, I think it's just such a cool look. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. Um, I do want to kind of. Uh, I, I think a big takeaway in this moment here is the the dark side uh, dialogue. It is, I mean, it's Ray Porter doing his work. Um, th- this was the the line that is, you know, was all over the place over the internet when when Ray was, you know, even promoting things. I mean, even when the fans were, you know, praising Ray Porter for his performance as Darkseid. This was the line that, you know, they put it on t-shirts, right? Um, I think it's incredible. I think it gives so much depth to the character. Um, I just have a couple notes. One of them is a question. Well, I guess they're both questions. But the first one is the only thing that I am just a little bit confused about, and I think I just need a hand-holding moment here unfortunately I'll call, I'll call it out you know i'm flawed um why wouldn't um dark side remember where his downfall was like why wouldn't he remember that that being beat by those heroes uh for the life equation um i understand something like that being lost and i understand um if the life equation appears only after the convergence or the unity um 
convergence that was an event in like 2013 or something like that or 2017 something like that anyway um so like i i does the life equation only appear after the unity and if so un sorry i just smacked my microphone undoing the unity and then uh the people of earth the heroes of earth hiding and and burying the boxes like does that hide it even more? Is it like a needle in a haystack now? I understand that because hundreds of thousands of planets, right? Especially after Darkseid conquering hundreds of thousands of planets. Um, and then what? You're just like, oh, crap. Where was that fight again? Like, that's my only confusion. I'm not saying that it's a major flaw. I'm not saying it's a plot hole. I'm just like... Why aren't I on the same page uh, as the writers? Why why don't I understand why Darkseid is uh, why why that was lost? Like why isn't Earth and her heroes um, not notable? Because it is in comic books, you know. Like that's the thing, and maybe it's because this this Earth is new, and you know this the the Kryptonian wasn't really known and then died and then came back and now it's like oh now that the kryptonian the kryptonian came back to life okay so cool uh I, do you understand what i'm saying uh, am i am i asking a no stupid i question? understand and i think it's one of the biggest conversations some people have had about this movie yeah so it Rebecca, doesn't do you wanna... it's not like a turnoff or anything like that i am just genuinely curious. i think it's a valid question to ask yeah, Nathan, I think that's such a cool uh, – it's it's a good question to ask in terms of the mother boxes because then it got my wheels turning about how uh, things didn't start in motion until Superman screamed mm -hmm. uh, when, he, when he died. And so I, I wonder if that has a connection to it too, that maybe – uh, they had no way to track it until they heard uh, the scream from Superman that, that woke up the mother boxes. So that I think it's a great question. I, I, I don't uh, dismiss it at all. I think it's a very valid question to ask. And um, uh, it, I do laugh at myself, though, when I think about that, because I'm like, I lost my my name tag that I have for work. I don't know where that thing is. I've checked everywhere. I've looked right. in my car. I've looked in my office. I've looked at my house. I don't know where that thing is. Hopefully it'll turn up someday. Maybe a, a Steppenwolf in my life will find it for me one day. Um, but I, I just think, you know, I don't know if that's a very human thing to lose something and have a, a tough way to track it. <laughs> or if that's something that that would apply to aliens as well, um, but but I, I I think about it in terms of you know me and putting myself in that situation. But um, but it also brings up questions for me of uh, you know does apocalyptic technology not have like a GPS tracking system? Do their do their ships not have a way to have a location? Um, you know to sort of pin a location yeah. where they were. Um, but I, I think it's a very valid question. Um, I, I like the idea now, though, that maybe it's somehow tied to Superman's death, and that's that's what triggered their uh, ability to to find it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, which also begs even more of a question because I think at the time of. Uh, the Age of Heroes and the first Apocalyptic invasion. Mark, I think we talked about this. There should be a Kryptonian on Earth at that time. That's a that's a whole other can of that's worms. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. So, like, that's I. Uh, yes. So uh, the death of the Kryptonian Kal El on Earth uh, awoken the mother boxes right and it did and it did send the message and it was you know the the bell was rung the bell was told and everything like that um it's just you have you have ships you have warships you have spaceships and there should be a, a computer that has coordinates of a database maybe i don't know but these are all science fiction things that us humans have made up so we're making it up as we go, right? It just doesn't exist. So I think I'm thinking too hard into it, but I just don't know why uh, Earth was was lost, you know? And if that's a real thing, if aliens, like, actually do show up IRL on Earth and they're like, hey, we just kind of forgot uh, where you guys were. And we're, I'd be like, oh, snap, okay. 
And Rebecca would be like, oh, so you do forget that it's, it is universal. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, I would buy it. And then, and, yeah. and, and, to, and to think about how Steppenwolf's been, you know, going after these 50,000 worlds, that's a lot of worlds. Yeah. Earth yeah. could get lost in the shuffle because there's just so many worlds. I get worlds that. Out there. And if, that's, yeah. if that is the answer, I'm okay with it. I just, like, maybe Desaad should have said something like that, you know? Like, just a line of dialogue of just, like, amongst the cosmos, like, how do I know where you're at, dude? You know? <laughs> where are you at now? Oh, Earth? I don't know what that is. What's the weather like? You know? Like, that whole so, thing. So, there, there is an official response from Zack Snyder on, on why he doesn't know where it is. And so, I'll, I'll read that real quick. And Did you, did you just find this as we were talking? I, I Googled it. I mean, I had my own theory and. Uh, I'll still say it, but I just want to put it out there for the podcast before someone else says it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's quote, um, it's the injuries that he sustains from battling with Earth's defenders that causes him to forget where it is. So I think if we remember back to um, Zeus and Ares <laughs> yeah. uh, defeating him and they kind of knock him unconscious, right? And then they're carrying him on the ship and whatnot. Yeah. So... And he's also got like he's bleeding like this his whole like well yeah he's got is, an like, Aries open. axe in him yeah Aries accent so like that's... so he like passes out and he okay but, but also um there's that there's also the the mental the psychology part of it where it's like uh, something so traumatic that you kind of compartmentalize it and there's a part of your brain that, yeah and it's like maybe don't think about it and so now he's <laughs> like I can't remember because it's so. Uh, embarrassing yeah you know yeah. i get it the, def the okay. defilement uh and uh so i that was my working theory is just uh, like you know mentally psychologically he's repressed that memory so he doesn't exactly know where it is anymore because it's embarrassing okay but also uh yes the hundred thousand worlds that he's conquered so that's a lot of marbles uh, oh, was it a hundred thousand i always forget so he, what, what he's conquered a hundred thousand mm -hmm. um, oh, okay yes steppenwolf his his exile is to basically do the the dark side run, yeah, right. <laughs> and and do the same thing. And do so the, he's yeah. halfway. He's he's at fifty thousand. He has okay. another fifty thousand. So he basically has to complete dark side's run mm -hmm. uh, gotcha. in order to come back home. Um, now it's just one world. So he's he's got he's he's almost That's there. Easy peasy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that leads me to believe that. But then there's also sectors, though, right? Because it's not just 50,000 worlds that are just there. You can go to them at any point. I mean, we're talking lanterns. We're talking, you know, at <laughs> one point there was Kryptonians that they had to deal with. Like, you can't just go to some other sector oh, yeah. as colonized Kryptonians, too, at that point. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That's, that's something. And there's, um, you know, there's so many other um, entities out there, you know? Like, so sectors of space, it just it gets, it gets wild out there. So, um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh boy. But yeah. So. Oh, I was going to say that leads me to believe that, um, <laughs> a lightning bolt from Zeus is still like one of the most damaging things that something that could happen to you. If, if that knocks you out that hard for you to forget, like, and, like, cause that much trauma and stuff like that, for a world conqueror, for an apocalyptic god, um, a Zeus lightning bolt is still, like, top tier on the list of, of owies. Yeah, and, and that was another thing, is that, um, you know, Zeus made the mascara. It's true, he's and... an old god, right? You got the, you got the yeah. blood of the old gods in you. There was like, some fear in that are the, statement. Are, are the old gods of Earth, are the, you know, are they somehow protecting Earth? Are they, you know, separating it from from the view of, of, of Darkseid? Who knows? I mean, if he could do it to Themyscira, he could probably do it to the entire world. We don't know. Very true. Very, very, very true. Okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with uh, that answer. I'm comfortable with knowing now. No, I'm not. I want a sequel. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I want you to explain it more. You want Darkseid on like the apocalyptic hospital bed, flanneling around like Darth Vader <laughs> after the lava. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're but, like, we can't, uh, I don't know how to take this axe out. And they're like, <laughs> I guess he didn't leave with the axe in him right now. Anyway. No, they, they anyway. Took it out. Anyway. Um, but no, I I do want to see I I want to see more of 
that's what I was looking forward to the most out of this movie. If we got a sequel, was the is I want to see more apocalyptic. Like, show me more of them interacting. Yeah. Like, just give me more of them interacting. Like, and I think I think we would have, of course. Um, you know, with the way Zack Snyder uh, directs things, the way he tells stories, is that he gives a lot of thought to where the villains are coming from. And so I, I think that's 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 what I would have wanted is is um, you know what's Desaad and, and Granny Goodness like I'm sure that they have thoughts and opinions that are separate from each other and that they would because um, everyone everyone under Darkseid I'm sure they all like do as he says and they all fear him but I'm sure um, to each other they have varying opinions and thoughts about um, about Apocalypse and 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 the anti life equation so. Um, that's 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 what I would like to see. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next scene. We're gonna go back to the Wayne Aerospace uh, uh, port that we that he's you know he's building the flying fox in that we saw earlier in the movie. So the Justice League, which is uh, now a thing, um, they have all arrived at this newer Bat Cave that that Batman has, so that he can he can build the flying fox and the Nightcrawler and all that good stuff. Um, this scene is just going to be with Jason Momoa and Ray Fisher as Cyborg and Aquaman, uh, respectively. Uh, there is an, the, like an ADR line from Ezra Miller uh, as the Flash. Um, I don't know if that's supposed to be like exposition for us because I know we saw this <laughs> this place earlier. So uh, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be like uh, funny and just be like, oh, that that's that's the Flash, or if it's you know we're supposed to explain to people that the that the place looks abandoned so there's no need to worry about uh the justice league being here yeah i think that's really what it is i think it's just supposed to be more of uh this this batman is is fond of of things uh old and decaying and decrepit and it's like oh yeah you're kind of hiding in plain sight you know so uh, i think it is just more of a little hat tilt to that this place looks abandoned from the outside and then he's got like the mercedes and the or the audi and it's like oh well everything else in here looks like brand new bruce wayne tech you know so yeah i so think it was just trying exposition. to be like not it's trying to separate itself from the way that um the marvel universe yes. has like iron man and like everything's so high tech yeah. and like it, it's not hiding at all. It's almost like, oh yeah, that's just you know Stark industry stuff. Like, of course the building is yeah modern and all high tech, and Batman is more like, I don't draw attention to myself, but I do have a lot of expensive things yeah to share. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want somebody from the outside to discover your Justice League. Uh, I don't. It's maybe I guess their current headquarters. Because uh, I don't know that they have one uh, as of yet, but uh, they don't, you know, they don't want somebody from just walking out from the street to come in and discover what they're doing. So I definitely think it's a, a way to tell the audience that they're in a place where nobody's going to know where they are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, th- the scene is mostly just uh, Cyborg and Aquaman, and I struggle with this one because it's almost like Jason Momoa is. Jason Momoa, Arthur Curry is giving Cyborg, uh, you know, he's giving him trouble for talking to uh, machines, or he says, "I speak to intelligence." Uh, I think it's kind of it, it's kind of a weird character to pick to have that moment of like that's kind of crazy. When- I, I think it's I think that's the point. I think it's exactly you're reading it. I think as it intended. I think it's the point for. The running joke of the oh you talk to fish like oh you talk to machines like well yeah no I don't talk to fish no I don't talk to machines I talk to intelligence and Aquaman's like no I don't talk to fish like that's a that's a creature a lot I speak we're doing it right now you know like yeah <laughs> yeah I think uh, it's also a good setup for later on uh, when uh, we'll we'll see mm-hmm. in this film that uh, Arthur has a lot of skepticism towards cyborg and where he comes from and what he's doing can they trust him so i think it's a it's a good setup uh moment here because it's the first indication that arthur thinks maybe something isn't right with cyborg and doesn't know if he's Mm. somebody who should be with them Mm, okay so he's he's questioning him on like his loyalty right like his or yeah can he trust this person yeah i see 
I, I never think, thought of it that way. I think Arthur is um, incredibly smart, like incredibly, um, even f- like for his own good. So like him just like naturally asking and having the curiosity and more of like, if we're going with that side, like the worry of you talk to machines, like these things that these aliens are after, like you talk to them as well. Oh, you came from that as well. Like you're a part of the enemy, that whole idea mm-hmm. of, you know, Arthur Curry thinking like that is really cool, um, especially this Arthur Curry that doesn't have a kingdom that he's watching over yet, um, but is already kind of fitting that role of like that, that protector, that that person that's supposed to be watching all sides. Um, this really just strong Aquaman, Arthur Curry, King Aquaman, you know, figure. Um, I think it's really cool. It's it's a good mirror to the regalness that we just saw with uh, Steppenwolf and Darkseid. Um, and then kind of backing it on with this other, you know, uh, kingly type figure, uh, I think is a really good bookend. Yeah, I think this uh, Arthur Curry slash Aquaman, I think he has a reason to distrust people <laughs> from yeah. uh, his his backstory and his origin and where he comes from. And so I think he's naturally somebody who's like, okay, this is a new person in this group of people. Uh, I don't know what to think about them. And I have to, uh, they have to sort of earn my trust in order for me to accept them into uh, my sphere of influence. So I think it makes sense coming from him because he seems to be the only one later on who doesn't know what to think about cyborg and so i think this is a a good setup for what is to come yeah that's that's a phenomenal way to look at it i never really thought about it that way before i thought it was just like a joke um the you know for the audience to to lighten up the um kind of break through the tension of of things and and introduce something that is kind of like oh you talk to machines kind of kind of jab um but yeah, never really thought about it in, in in that in that regard, and now I I see it and it, it adds up with um, the Iceland scene, but just how um, defensive Arthur is, like he not t- just himself but to others, right? So uh, the people of Iceland, he's always been defensive to them. He's always trying to take care of people. He's a protector, right? So he 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 wants to protect those that cannot protect themselves. We've talked about that with Wonder Woman a lot to defend the, the the weak and the innocent and 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 yeah now it makes sense that he's you know he's he's fought in he's 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 fought uh Steppenwolf and he he, he helped the Justice League escape um the Metropolis project tunnels and now he's looking at Cyborg and he sees that mother box the same mother box or another mother box similar to the one that Atlantis was protecting and now, if he's communicating with these objects, um, is that a good thing? Is that something I can trust? And so, yeah, it's uh, I'll have to now. Now that I'll, I'll see this, I think when we get to the other minutes where they're talking about the mother boxes, now it adds up where you know it leads into him not trusting Cyborg. So, yeah, absolutely, um, cool. <laughs> Um, that's, that's all I have for, for this minute. Is there anything else that you guys had for this one? Well, for me, I really like this Bruce and Diana and their, uh, dynamic and relationship in the Snyderverse. And I, I really appreciate because Diana has been in the Batcave. She's gotten to know Alfred. And I like in this minute, uh, it's very subtle and nobody would care about it but me. But uh, Diana is walking in front of Bruce sort of in the background. And she's just walking in like she owns the place. And I just, uh, for me, that uh, speaks to the fact that she's very comfortable in this location. She knows where everything is probably. She knows the ins and outs of uh, this facility and this location. And um, I I don't know. There's something about it where I like that the two leaders of the Justice League, Bruce and Diana, are kind of, they're already in motion. They're going to whatever they're they're uh, going to be talking about. These these other characters, you know, Cyborg and Flash and and Aquaman over here. They're they're kind of the new people in. They don't know where this place is. They don't know what to expect. But I, I it's a small thing, and uh, I'm probably reading into it a lot. But I just like the way that Diana is very comfortable in this location, and she's sort of leading uh bruce in the background and so i i just think that's really cool. I, I noticed it 
when we were watching it. So you're not you're not alone. Um, <laughs> you're absolutely right on all accounts. I mean, this is also the Diana that um, has kind of destroyed all the security measures for like the Batcave. So it's like, yeah, I just I got a key, dude. Like, <laughs> you didn't even have to give me one. I went and made one. You know, like I'm we're the same. I I love that dynamic between the two of them um so, so much that it is like uh, it really is it makes me uh not be able to form sentences obviously um <laughs> it's really cool to think about because diana is uh this character this woman who has lived for so long in the presence and out of the presence of man's affairs human's affairs um that like in order for Diana to like <laughs> have interest or at least have stake in these affairs, like it has to be a big deal. And then for her to actually find a partner in all of that after Steve Trevor, that's detrimental. Like you gotta, that's something that's like, Hey, this is a big deal. The fact that Diana and Bruce like melded so easily and quickly should have been talked about a lot more should have had like at least a a Lois Lane and Clark Kent like type of you know scene where it was 10 minutes of them like actually <laughs> getting to know each other much like in Dawn of Justice when they were in the uh in, in the museum you know like you've never known a girl oh, like yeah. me. it's like that's what I need like you guys you guys understand each other on levels that I can't even comprehend because you have such similar goals and you're figuring out that you have the similar goals at the same time and compile all that with just like mutual respect and everything. And it's like, yeah, Diana, of course you can, you got free range of this place. Like this is, you set up, like we're here together. You are a, a goddess, like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're the best that can be right now. And I'm just a, a guy with, you know, a cool costume and, and issues. <laughs> yeah. And one yeah. and once my best friend back. <laughs> there are uh, so like I know like later in the film when they they go to the the Bat Cave at Wayne's new place um, and and she does the same thing where everyone's coming in they're like oh wow it's the Bat Cave and um, and yeah Diana will just walk past and you go Alfred and she taps him on the shoulder and keeps on walking and so yeah she she still has that. The energy and she's very familiar with this place and um i i appreciate that more the way that they are so well knit uh and and compared to uh the 2017 version where they try to uh give the team tension in such weird ways and um they say things that just seem uh not nice things to say to each other and so the the writing in the 2017 version to kind of like um, create this tension between Bruce and Diana uh, and then writing a whole other scene where they, you know, she helps him with his, his battle wounds and stuff like that. There were so many things in the 2017 version of Justice League that um, too, too, like I think I said volatile, but it's like, yeah, they're, the way that they treat Bruce Wayne in or Batman in, in the 2017 version of Justice League is almost a inconsistent, like a kind of like identity crisis of what this Batman is. Like, is he is he for the team? Is he not for the team? Is he is he just uh, treating these people as as tools to use so that he can get the job done? So it's it's very strange. But here, um, Diana and Bruce are truly equals. They are truly partners, um, trying to get this done, and they actually care about. The, the other members of the team that they've um, inherited. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. Um, the, the fantastic direction of, of, of Diana and Bruce in, in this movie in, in totality. Um, and then I just think about, you know, the, the other depictions that we've had of them, uh, the Flash movie recently, and, um, and, and of course, the two, 2017 version of Justice League, um, it just seems like those always take a step backwards for for entertainment purposes and it never has that has value like it doesn't it's 
it doesn't progress the characters or their relationships in ways that we want to see them. So um, this this film does it best. And so does Dawn of Justice. Like, absolutely. I still think about that movie and, like, specifically, like, the Diana-Bruce relationship that, that's in that movie. And I still think it's, it's, it's even stronger. Or there's something about it that I, I love so much more because uh, I, I love this movie, but whenever I think about Dawn of Justice and, and whenever I rewatch it and I see Gal Gadot as Diana in, in that movie and the way that she interacts with Bruce, especially like at the gala um, or both both galas that they go to. It's just like, wow, like what incredible performance from from Gal and, and Bruce, like bouncing off each other in these line deliveries. And um that movie is always so strong for the way that it depicts the the two in that relationship. So, um, I think you, I think you make a good point about the progression of their relationship, and even in this minute. And I'll uh, ask this question for y'all because I I don't know the answer. There's a the silver car uh, in the uh, sort of bottom right mm-hmm. of the screen. Is that both the car that Bruce takes to pick up Barry, yes. and also the car that Diana drives to meet up with? Victor, is that the same car? Oh, oh, she does drive the the car, doesn't she? Yeah, which seems strange. She could probably run really fast. Yeah, I, I, given Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, she could probably fly too. But, um, but I think she drives that car. So in that same discussion, are you know, is Bruce like, yeah, just take my car, it's no problem? Are they able to share these these resources, and and he feels comfortable letting her? take this probably very expensive car <laughs> out um so i just i thought that was an interesting uh question that i had in this minute yeah no i i i totally forgot that she drove that car i remember us talking about some of the easter eggs that were on the on the street wall in in that minute but i don't think we actually talked about the car um because we, we we did talk about the car with with barry and, and bruce because they it's kind of like a car commercial for one of the minutes. Um, but yeah, I, it, it could be the same car because, uh, doesn't, don't they? Well, no, no, I'll have to look now. I have to check back. All right. We, we gotta, we gotta go back, Nate. We gotta, I mean, gotta I'm, this I'm inclined again. to believe that it's the same car. Um, <laughs> yeah. also I really like the they idea that, um, they share the same mouse on the computer. Yeah. um the fact that like uh this batman and these characters have progressed past the point of uh alfred being a driver as well the fact that bruce was like yeah take the car one like i understand like the privilege you know higher tax bracket and that whole thing of just being like you know i got whatever car you bring out the cappuccino whatever you know you're gonna do Mm -hmm. um like i get that but uh yeah it goes back to the uh, camaraderie of the two of them of you know in my mind, it is him overhand tossing the keys and, you know, she's on the other side of the Batcave and catches him and puts on the sunglasses and turns up the music and leather jacket Diana Prince is rolling down the streets with the windows down. And that's that's cool. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's the same car. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell. It it totally might be a completely different car, and Diana could own her own expensive car. She maybe maybe she doesn't need uh, Bruce's fancy I mean, car. That's she true. can uh, yeah, get her own uh, get her own wheels. But I like the idea of it. But uh, I, I could be wrong that it may not be the same car. Well, we'll have to find we'll out. Figure it out anyway. I'm like I'm like <laughs> looking because now now I want to know, but I don't want to waste anyone's time so i think this is a good starting point i'm sure for those who are listening they can let us know they can find out i'm sure someone will um but you know i wouldn't be, put it past that um cinematically making uh, a movie and and having a mercedes in the in, in the well so the car that bruce is driving is a, is a concept car so it's not on the market uh so but being that the way movies work and how they get vehicles and, and movies um, it could be uh, an opportunity for them to say, oh, you know, Bruce drives multiple Mercedes, so we can introduce multiple models that we can market in, in the film, um, like they uh, marketed the other vehicle in, in Dawn of Justice when um, Batman was going through Metropolis during the um, the Black Zero event. So 
I'll have to I'll have to find it, and then we'll we'll find out later if if he has multiple Mercedes or just the one, and they were sharing it. So, oh, yeah, Bruce Wayne definitely I know for a fact has more than one yeah. car. So yeah. the the <laughs> car that I uh, this I know is that um in Dawn of Justice the the car that he was driving in that film was the the Porsche, the same one that James Bond yeah. has. Um, so that's a different car. Uh, so but this one is it's, it's a Mercedes. So now we have to find out. If that's the same one that Diana had, um, it, you know, this is such a big movie too. I'm I'm thinking about it, and I was like going through some. We're technically on week 27 of you know, like there's like 45 weeks of in this movie. Um, you know, it's, we're minute 132 now, and I was thinking like, well, when does she meet Cyborg? Like I'm thinking in my head, it's such a big movie that I I was like going through my head like, well, which part like part one part two like and which part is that scene in does it happen before he discovers his abilities does it happen you know after you know like the the big cyborg moment that we have in this film was it before age of heroes after age of heroes like i i couldn't i you know it's such a massive movie i'm going through all these folders like i'm trying to find how to restart Jurassic Park and I just can't figure out <laughs> where it is. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It really does help the show and it helps new listeners discover the show as well. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at DCEU Minute. And if you'd like bonus content, we have a Patreon for just $3 with tons of other podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you here next time on DC Cinematic Minute.